0: Chapter 12 of My Doggy and I by Robert Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Alison Hester. Chapter 12 begins with love, hope, and joy, and ends peculiarly. It may not, perhaps, surprise the reader to learn that after Lily Blythe's return to town I did not prosecute my studies with as much enthusiasm as before. In fact, I divided my attentions pretty equally between lily and chemistry. Now, I am not prone to become sentimentally talkative about my own affairs, but as courtship and love and that sort of thing are undoubted and important elements in the chemistry of human affairs, and as they influenced me and those around me to some extent, I cannot avoid making reference to them, but I promise the reader to do so only as far as appears necessary for the elucidation of my story. First then, although I knew that my prospects of success as a partner of Dr. MacTougall were most encouraging, I felt that it would be foolish to think of marriage until my position was well established and my income adequate i therefore strove with all my might to check the flow of my thoughts towards miss Blythe, as well might i have striven to restrain the flow of niagara true love cannot be stemmed in my case however the proverb was utterly falsified for my true love did run smooth more than that it ran fast very fast indeed so much so that i was carried as it were on the summit of a rushing flood-tide into the placid harbour of engagement the anchorage in that harbour is with many people uncertain with Lily and me it was not so the ground tackle was good it had caught hold of a rock and held on it happened thus After many weeks of struggling on my part to keep out of Miss Blythe's way, and to prevent the state of my feelings from being observed by her, struggles which I afterwards found to my confusion had been quite obvious to her. I found myself standing alone, one Sunday afternoon, in the doctor's drawing-room, meditating on the joys of childhood, as exemplified by thunderous blows on the floor above and piercing shouts of laughter. THE CHILDREN HAD BEEN TO CHURCH AND WERE WORKING OFF THE STEAM accumulated THERE. SUDDENLY THERE WAS A DEAD SILENCE, WHICH I KNEW TO BE THE RESULT OF A MEAL. THE MEAL WAS, I MAY ADD, THE UNION OF A LATE DINNER WITH AN EARLY TEA. IT WAS CHARACTERISTIC OF SUNDAYS IN THE Mctougall NURSERY. THE THOUGHT OF THIS UNION TURNED MY MIND INTO ANOTHER CHANNEL. JUST THEN, MISS Blythe ENTERED. SHE LOOKED SO RADIANT THAT I FORGOT MYSELF forgot my former struggles, my good resolutions, everything except herself, and proposed on the spot. I was rejected, of course. More than that, I was stunned. Hope had told me many flattering tales. Indeed, I had felt so sure from many little symptoms that Lily had a strong regard for me, to say the least, that I was overwhelmed not only by my rejection but by the thought of my foolish self-assurance. "'I don't wonder that you look upon me "'as a presumptuous, vain, contemptible fellow,' "'said I, in the bitterness of my soul. "'But I do not regard you in that light,' "'said Lily, with a faint smile, "'and then, hesitatingly, she looked down at the carpet. "'In what light do you regard me, Miss Blythe?' "'said I, recovering a little hope and speaking vehemently. "'Really, Dr. Mellon, you take me by surprise.' "'Your manner, so abrupt, so—' "'Oh, never mind, manner, dear Miss Blythe,' said I, "'seizing her hand and forcibly detaining it. "'You are the soul of truth. "'Tell me, is there any hope for me? "'Can you care for me?' "'Dr. Mellon,' she said, drawing her hand firmly away, "'I cannot, should not reply. "'You do not know all the—the circumstances of my life—' "'My poverty, my solitary condition in the world, my—my—' my... "'Miss Blythe!' I exclaimed in desperation. "'If you were as poor as a—a a church rat, as solitary as—as as Adam before the advent of Eve, "'I would count it my chief joy and—' "'Hello, Melon! Hi!' I say. "'Where are you?' shouted the voice of the doctor at that moment from below stairs. "'Here's dumps, been in the laboratory, and capsized some of the chemicals.' "'Coming, sir,' I shouted, then tenderly, though hurriedly, to Miss Blythe. "'You will let me resume this subject at—' "'Hello, look sharp,' from below. "'Yes, yes, I'll be down directly. "'Dear Miss Blythe, if you only knew—' "'Why, the dog's burning all over. Help me!' roared the doctor. Miss Blythe blushed and laughed how could she help it i hastily kissed her hand and fled from the room that was the whole affair there was not enough strictly speaking to form a ground of hope but somehow i knew that it was all right in the laboratory i found dumps smoking and the doctor pouring water from the tap on his dishevelled body he was not hurt and little damage was done But as I sat in my room talking to him that evening, I could not help reproaching him with having been the means of breaking off one of the most important interviews of my life. However, dumps, I continued, your good services far outweigh your wicked deeds, and whatever you may do in the future, I will never forget that you were the means of introducing me to that angel, Lily Blythe. The angel in question went that Sunday evening at seven o'clock, as was her wont, to a Bible class which she had started for the instruction of some of the poor neglected boys and lads who idled about in the dreary back streets of our aristocratic neighborhood. The boys had become so fond of her that they were eager to attend and usually assembled round the door of the classroom before the hour. My protege, Robin Slider, was of course one of her warmest adherents. He was standing that night apart from the other boys contemplating the proceedings of two combative sparrows which quarrelled over a crumb of bread on the pavement and had just come to the conclusion that men and sparrows had some qualities in common when he was attracted by a low whistle and looking up beheld the slogger peeping round a neighbouring corner hello slog villam i mean how are you come along well i am glad to see you For d'ye know, arter you failed me that day, at the Black Bull, I've been giving you a pretty bad character and calling you no end of bad names. Is that what your angel teaches you, Robin? Well, not exactly. But you'll hear what she teaches for yourself tonight, I hope. Come, I'm right glad to see you, villain. What was it that prevented you that day, eh? When the slogger had explained and cleared his character, Robin asked him eagerly if he had ascertained anything further about the girl whom he and Brassy had robbed. "'Of course I have,' said the slogger. "'And it's a curious circumstance that her place of abode, so Sally says, is in the Vest End, not very far from here. She gave me the street and the name, but wasn't quite sure of the number.' Well, come along. Let's hear all about it.' Said Robin impatiently, "Why, what's your hurry?" Returned the slogger slowly. "I ain't goin' away till I've heard what your angel's got to say, you know. Besides, I must go arter your meetings over and watch the owls till I see the gallon, Make sure it's her, for Sally may have been mistook, you know." "You don't know her name, do you?" asked Robin. "It wasn't Edie Willis, now was it?" "'How should I know her name?' answered the slogger. D'ye think I stopped to inquire when I elped to relieve her of her property?' "'Ah, uh, I suppose not. "'Vell, I suppose you've no objection to my goin' to watch along with you?' "'None whatsoever. "'Only remember, if it do turn out to be her, you won't betray me. "'Honor bright!' "'She may be revengeful, you know, and might have me took up if she got old of me.' Robin Slider faithfully and earnestly pledged himself. While he was speaking, there was a general movement among the lads and boys towards the classroom, for Miss Blythe was seen coming towards them. The two friends moved with the rest. Just as he was about to enter the door—' robin missed his companion and looking back saw him bending down and holding his sides as if in pain what's wrong now he inquired returning to him oh i'm took so bad said the slogger looking very red and rubbing himself a old complaint as i thought i was cured of oh dear you'll have to excuse me robin and i'll go and take a turn and come in if i gets better if not i'll meet you round the corner arter it's over so saying the slogger turning round walked quickly away and his little friend entered the classroom in a state of mind pendulating between disgust and despair for he had no expectation of seeing the slippery slogger again that night When the meeting was over, Miss Blythe returned home. I saw her enter the library. No one else was there, I knew. The gas had not yet been lighted, and only a faint flicker from the fire illuminated the room. Unable to bear the state of uncertainty under which my mind still labored, I resolved to make assurance doubly sure, or quit the house and England forever. I spare the reader the details. Suffice it to say, that after much entreaty, I got her to admit that she loved me, but she refused to accept me until she had told me her whole history. "'Then I'm sure of you now,' said I in triumph. "'For, be your history what it may, I'll never give up on you, dearest Lily.' "'Don't call me Lily,' she said in a low, quiet tone.' it is only a pet name which the little ones here gave me on my first coming to them call me edith i will said i with enthusiasm a far more beautiful name i'll hello hi melon are you there for the second time that day dr Tougal interrupted me but i was proof against annoyance now yes i'm here i shouted running downstairs surely dumps is not burning himself again eh oh no returned my friend with a laugh only a telegram however it's important enough to require prompt attention the gordons in bingley manor you know them telegraphed me to run down immediately old lady ill now it unfortunately happens that i have an engagement this evening which positively cannot be put off so i must send you besides i know well enough what it is They're easily alarmed, and I'm convinced it is just the old story. However, the summons must be obeyed. You will go for me. The train starts in half an hour. You will have plenty of time to catch it if you make haste. You'll have to stay all night. No return train till tomorrow, being an out-of-the-way place. There, off with you. Put the telegram in your pocket for the address. So saying, the doctor put on his hat and left the house. Summoning Robin Slider, I bade him to pack a few things into my traveling bag while I wrote a note. When he had finished, he told me of his interview with the slogger. I was greatly interested and asked if he had gone to see his friend after the meeting. No, sir, I didn't. I meant to, but Miss Blythe wanted me to walk home with her. It was so dark, and when I went back, he had gone. Pity, Robin, a great pity said i hastily strapping up my bag but no doubt he'll come here to see you again now don't forget to take over that parcel of tea and sugar etc to mrs willis go as soon as you can saying this i left the house the new residence of the old woman being so near to hoboy crescent the parcel was soon delivered and robin officiated at the opening of it also at the preparing and consuming of some of its contents. Of course, he chatted vigorously, as was his wont, but was particularly careful to make not the most distant allusion to the slogger or his reports, being anxious not to arouse her hopes until he should have some evidence that they were on a true scent. Indeed, he was so fearful of letting slip some word or remark on the subject, and thereby awakening suspicion and giving needless pain, that he abstained from all reference to the meeting of that evening, and launched out instead into wonderful and puzzling theological speculations, of which he was very fond. Meanwhile, I was carried swiftly into the country. The lamp in my carriage was too dim to permit of reading. I, therefore, wrapped myself in my rug and indulged in pleasant meditations. It was past midnight when I arrived at the station for Bingley Manor, where I found a gig awaiting me. A sharp drive of half an hour, and I was at the mansion door. Dr. MacTougall was right. There was little the matter with old Mrs. Gordon, but the family were nervous and rich, hence my visit. I did what was necessary for the patient, comforted the rest by my presence, had a sound night's rest, an early breakfast, a pleasant drive in the fresh frosty air, and a brief wait of five minutes when the punctual train came up. There is something inexpressibly delightful in a ride, on a sharp frosty morning, in an express train. I have always felt a wild bounding sensation of joy in rapid motion. The pace at which we went that morning was exceptionally charming. Had I known that the engine driver was intoxicated, perhaps it might not have been quite so exhilarating, but I did not know that. I sat comfortably in my corner thinking of Edith and gazing with placid benignity at the frosted trees and bushes which sparkled in the red wintry sun. Yes, it was a glorious ride. I never had a better. The part of the country through which we passed was lovely. One can always gaze comfortably at the distant landscape from a railway carriage, however great the speed. As for the immediate foreground, it reminded me of a race. Houses, trees, farms, towns, villages, hamlets, horses, sheep, cattle, poultry, hayricks, brickfields, were among the competitors in that race. They rushed in mad confusion to the rear. I exulted in the pace. Not so a stout elderly gentleman in the opposite direction, who evidently disliked it. So true is it that one man's meat is another's poison. "'There's no reason to fear, sir,' said I, with a smile by way of reassuring him. "'This is a most excellently managed line. One never hears of accidents on it.' "'Too fast just now, anyhow,' returned the elderly gentleman testily just then the whistle was heard sounding violently. That's a sign of safety, said I. Shows they are on the alert. A severe application of the brakes caused me to stop abruptly and the elderly man to seize the arms of his seat with a convulsive grasp. Suddenly, there was a mighty crash. The sensations in my mind that followed were suggestive of cannons, Rockets, bombs, fireworks, serpents, shooting stars, and tumbling debris. Then, all was dark and silent as the grave. End of chapter 12.